a kid walked into a candy store with his dad and was bedazzled by the array of treats on offer. What should I choose? What should I choose? What should I choose? He asked himself. Come on, son, you don't have all day, his dad said. But these are my favorite. No, wait, these are my favorite. No, these are my favorites. The son walked along the aisle picking up bags and putting them back. He just couldn't make up his mind. Quick, son, make up your mind. We have to go, his impatient dad said. Frantically, the boy ran around the store, his eyes moving from one shelf to another. But all the options looked so good, and he couldn't make a decision. Eventually, the dad had enough, grabbed his son by the hand, and they walked out of the store empty-handed. The young boy had tears in his eyes. He wanted them all, but ended up with nothing because he couldn't choose just one. We're all that boy. The world is that candy store. We have a myriad of options available to us, but if we don't make a decision about our career, education, relationships, investments, church, or other important issues, we end up empty-handed. Sometimes we worry about making the wrong choice. What if we regret the direction that we take, and it's too late to go back? The bigger danger is that we make no decision at all and end up going nowhere and doing nothing. So it is in our spiritual lives. We can't choose between the Lord and the world, and we constantly change our mind whom to choose because we are drawn to one or the other based on our life situation. We take and then put back, thinking there is a quote-unquote better option. But sadly for many of us, we end up with decision paralysis. We try to have both God and the world And we make no firm and concrete decision and end up going nowhere and doing nothing with our wasted lives. But it is very important to make choices in life, to make right choices in life, and how to stick with the choices we make without wavering, especially as it relates to the choice of following God or following the world. As we finish our study in the book of Joshua in our series titled Courage in the Crucible, I want to present four principles regarding choices in life, and hopefully it will serve to guide you to make right choices in life and to keep them as you go through the crucibles of your life so that you will be able to live with boldness and courage for the Lord. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, as we take a look at verses 1 to 33. Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 to 33. I read verses 1 and 2. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Here Joshua gathers all the people of Israel for what will be his last speech to them. He has led the people of Israel faithfully in the conquest of the land, and now he leaves them some parting words. He will begin in verses 1 to 13 with a little history lesson, but it wasn't to remind them necessarily of what took place, but it was to show them who is the one true God that they worship and what God did for them. It was a theological explanation of who God is through a quick retelling of their history. 
Joshua begins by telling them that before the living God spoke to their forefather Abraham, they were a people who worshipped false pagan gods. But by God's grace, He revealed Himself to Abraham and chose him to start the nation of Israel. Look at me at verses 3 to 5. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among you. Afterward I brought you out. Here in verses 3 to 5, Joshua quickly recounts how Abraham and his son Isaac and grandson Jacob prospered in the promised land of Canaan and how they as a people grew. And because of unique circumstances, they would end up finding themselves in captivity in Egypt. But through the raising up of deliverer Moses, God led them out of Egypt to return back to the promised land. You see here, Joshua is reminding the people that they worship a God who providentially leads and graciously gives. A God who providentially leads and graciously gives. Look with me now at verses 6 to 10. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and He put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Ziphor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Here in verses 6 to 10, Joshua recounts how God miraculously saves the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians by parting the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to cross over, but then having the Red Sea come upon them, drowning the pursuing armies. Then a reminder of how God protected them in the wilderness and saved them while they were on the eastern side of the Jordan by helping them defeat the great Amorite kings and sovereignly orchestrating it that Moab would not have victory over Israel. You see, Joshua is reminding the people that they worship a God who fully protects and victoriously saves. A God who fully protects and victoriously saves. Look with me now at verses 11 and 12. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. Here in these verses, Joshua recounts how Israel was able to secure victories against the fearsome Canaanite armies of the various peoples mentioned here. Not through the strength of their own fighting forces, not through the strength of their own army, but because of a God who gives miraculous victories. A God who gives miraculous victories. Look at me now at verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. 
you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Here in verse 13, a reminder from Joshua that the land they have received was given to them, a land which they did not deserve, for indeed it was a promised land, a land full of blessings, and they did not deserve it, but God gave it to them anyways. You see, Joshua was reminding the people that they worship a God full of amazing grace and abundant blessings. A God full of amazing grace and abundant blessings. So in this quick history lesson, Joshua reminds the people that the God they worship is a God who providentially leads, who graciously gives, who fully protects, who victoriously saves, who gives miraculous victories, and is full of amazing grace and abundant blessings. That is a pretty amazing God, a God they not only worship, but have experienced firsthand. And this reminder is important for the upcoming decision they will have to make. You see, choice principle number one, make correct life decisions by remembering who God is and what He has done. Choice principle number one, make correct life decisions by remembering who God is and what He has done. This is such an important principle because while it should be true in our lives that we decide based on what God wants, it is natural in our lives that our choices come down through seeing the lenses of my own eyes to see if it benefits me, the choices that I make. And sadly, we often question if God has done anything for us lately because we are often so short-sighted. We live in the present and forget the past, and we simply temporarily forget just how faithful and good God is to us. So we don't consider Him in our decision matrix. We question God's ability to get us out of a jam or to bless us because we have forgotten just how amazing our God is. So remember who God is and what He has done before we make life choices, and it will ensure that we make the correct and right decision. Let's say I'm about to make a decision in life that chooses between Jesus and my friends. If I only see through my temporal lenses, I may think that Jesus simply doesn't want me to have fun. He is a cosmic killjoy that just doesn't understand the culture. He doesn't understand the gaming world. He doesn't understand the world of the internet. He simply doesn't want my good. And so naturally, I'm going to choose my friends if I have that mindset. But when I think back and remember how Jesus loved, supported, and even died on my behalf, I might give His advice for how I should live more weight and understanding. He will now be factored in to my decision-making, thinking perhaps that what Jesus said for me to do through the Scriptures is actually for my good. Maybe I'm missing a perspective that the omniscient God sees that I have not yet considered. Thinking about who God is and what He has done will help me make the right decisions in life. Look with me now at verses 14 to 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. After a quick historical review of what God has done, 
Joshua lays it out for them very clearly. You have a choice to make. Do you choose to follow and serve false gods who have done nothing for you because they are fake and they don't have any power? Or will you choose to serve the one true living God of Israel who has done all of these things for you because of who He is and what He has done? Joshua then makes it very clear to the people where he stood. For me and my family, we have made the choice and we choose to follow and serve the living God. Joshua realizes he cannot force the people to serve the living God. He is on his way out, nearing the end of his life, and will not be able to lead them to do what is right. They will have to make this decision themselves. They will have to own their faith. That's why I often charge you that your faith walk with Jesus has to be a personal decision. You have to choose to want to follow Jesus. Yes, early on in your life, your parents or your grandparents may force you to go to church or may force you to go to a Christian school. But there will come a time in your life when you must make your own decision to follow Jesus. No one will be there to hover over you for the rest of your life, nagging you to pray daily or to read God's Word daily. No one will be there to remind you to wake up early to go to church or to set aside time to join and watch the virtual worship. Every one of us has to make a choice, a daily choice when we start today, whom we will serve. And we need to make that commitment every morning to serve Jesus just as we would to choose every day what to wear, whether it will match or not, or what to eat every day, whether it will be the healthy option or not. The choice to follow Jesus must be made every day, and the choice is yours. The point and emphasis of Joshua's speech is that the choice should be easy. The choice to follow God should be an easy choice. There shouldn't be much struggle in choosing to follow God because of who He is and what He has done. Do you choose to follow one who has done nothing for you because it has no power or to follow the one who has done everything for you because he is all-powerful? In actuality, we struggle with this choice a lot more than we should. We have somehow made an extremely easy choice a very difficult one. We should be choosing God always. We should be choosing a God who providentially leads, who graciously gives, who fully protects, who victoriously saves, who gives miraculous victories, who is full of amazing grace and abundant blessings. But instead, we choose false gods. We choose to follow the idols in our lives, such as wealth, gaining nothing, but it taking everything from our lives, our time, even, in some cases, our very souls. With teenagers myself... Sometimes I don't understand why they don't choose to want to hang out with their mom and dad and listen to us anymore like they used to do when they were children and calling for our attention daily. Are we not cool anymore? I guess we aren't very cool in their eyes anymore. But being a teenager myself, I remember those days when I would choose my friends over my parents. I remember once getting angry at my parents for taking us on vacation to Florida because I wanted to spend more time with my friends over the summer break. Here I've chosen to spend time with friends who do not feed me or to house me, 
who do not provide me with schooling or an allowance, who doesn't always buy me presents for Christmas or my birthday, and in the process shun my parents who do all of these things and are taking me on a free vacation to Florida, to Disney World. Looking back now with more maturity, I realize I was so foolish as a teenager, choosing my friends over my family, when my family does so much more for me than my friends. But in the same way, that's how we are with the Lord, when we choose to follow the idols of our lives over following the God who graciously gives us all good things. Look with me now at verses 16 to 18. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God." The people of Israel chose the same side as Joshua. They will choose to follow and obey the one true God of Israel because it was an easy decision for them in light of what God has done for them. The false gods of Israel's forefathers didn't do anything for them, and so they rejected them. The God they chose to follow had brought them from out of bondage, had given them victory, had faithfully protected them. This is the God they say they will follow. This decision gives us our second principle. Choice principle number two, weigh life decision options based on the evidence of facts. Weigh life decision options based on the evidence of facts. You know, God doesn't ask us to follow blindly Himself. He gives us all the reasons we need to follow Him. Just like in the Gospels, when Jesus performs a miracle or speaks words of truth, He tells them after to follow Him, and then they become His disciples. He gives them a reason to weigh the options based on facts before they choose to follow Him. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, must be ready with the reason, a defense, for the hope that we have in us. Always be ready to give a reason why you have chosen to follow Jesus. If you don't, then the world laughs at us. You have placed your trust, you've made a decision on something you have not really fully considered. It's important that we weigh life decision options based on the evidence of facts. As an application to this principle, would you think about five tangible facts or reasons why you have chosen to follow and serve the living God? Write it down. Put it on your phones so the next time you wonder why you need to follow God, you can read the list for yourself. Here are three on my list of reasons why I follow God. He gave me salvation and eternal life through His Son, Jesus. He has saved my life on three occasions through miraculous works. His love and forgiveness overwhelms me because I am so undeserving of it. And I'm sure you can think of more in others. But these are but some of the reasons why I choose to follow Jesus. 
No one forces me to follow Him, and no one should force you to follow Jesus as well. You need to own your faith and have the compelling reasons for yourself why you have chosen to follow Jesus. Weigh your life decisions based on the evidence of facts. The facts of what Jesus Christ has done for you, how He has poured out His abundant blessings and grace in your life. Look with me now at verses 19 to 21. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, that He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. These words from Joshua seem startling in view of what the people had just affirmed. But perhaps Joshua wanted to make sure that their enthusiastic affirmations to follow the Lord wasn't simply a spontaneous, quote-unquote, at-the-moment decision. Joshua really wanted them to consider the decision and the covenant they were making. So in verses 19 and 20, it is implied that before these people make a commitment to follow the living God, they should wait and really make sure that it isn't a decision that they are making lightly just because their leader Joshua had made the choice to follow God or that everyone else is making the same decision. Joshua reminds them that the choice to follow the Lord is a serious decision. It's not like choosing your ice cream flavor where you keep changing your decision based on the flavor of the month. What you love now will be different Next month, the choice to follow God must be consistent, must be lifelong. It is a serious decision. Joshua reminds the people, if you choose to follow God, here are His standards. He is a holy God. He is rightfully jealous of the people that choose to follow Him, meaning He could use any means in His disposal, including severe discipline, to bring His children whom He loves back to Him. When Joshua says that God will not forgive their sins, the contextual understanding is clear. It is not that God doesn't forgive sins, because elsewhere in the Scripture it is clear that God does forgive sin, and Scripture doesn't contradict itself. But the emphasis is, don't take this decision lightly, because if you commit to follow God and bail on Him to turn to other pagan false gods, then there will be punishment and harsh consequences for your actions. It is similar, for example, if you find out there, there's a real cheap airline ticket deal online that you get to go round trip to the U.S. for less than $500 this summer. All of your friends and family are buying this cheap air ticket. So you get caught up in the euphoria and excitement and you buy five tickets for your family but you never read the fine print details and you simply click purchase on the website. And then a few weeks later, when reality sets in, you realize you can't even leave the country because you don't have the right visa because of COVID restrictions. So you now want to get a refund or the ability to change the dates of your departure. But now you read the fine print and you realize you can't do it. There's absolutely no refund for this blockbuster bargain deal. There is absolutely no changing of dates. And since you can't comply with the requirements, it eventually costs you $2,500. There is a ramification when you press that purchase button on the website. 
I hope you see my point. You see, these verses bring up another principle, choice principle number three. Consider the seriousness of life decisions because choices have consequences. Consider the seriousness of life decisions because choices have consequences. Spiritual decisions are not to be taken lightly. Remember, when you commit to following God, while He is loving and forgiving, He still demands respect and that you try your best to honor your commitments to Him. Just like if you tell your boss that you will have a financial report done by the end of the week, I'm sure you will sacrifice sleep, sacrifice family time, sacrifice meal time. You will even have someone proofread your report, working on that report with great accuracy so that you can submit the best of reports to your boss on time. So why is it when we promise to God, the God of the universe, the God who is omniscient, our intent to live our lives for Him, we don't think He will mind if there are times we don't meet our commitments? Or why do we think that there will be no consequences if we simply ignore our commitments and our word to Him? Spiritual decisions are not to be taken lightly. Your choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. In fact, every choice you make has consequences. If you choose to wear ill-fitting shoes that look good on you, but cause your feet to really hurt, you have chosen good looks over comfort. If you choose to wear mismatching clothes to make a style statement, knowing that people will make fun of you, you have chosen a style statement over others' opinions. If you choose to stay up late every night watching Netflix, knowing that you are sacrificing sleep and a good night's rest, then you are choosing temporary entertainment over the alertness of mind the next day. Or more importantly, if you decide not to put your trust in Jesus by faith for salvation, trusting in your own ability to save yourself through good works, then the consequences of that decision is eternal punishment, eternal separation from God with no chance of being saved again. You have chosen personal pride over eternal life. We all love the freedom to choose. But remember to consider well the seriousness of life decisions because choices have consequences. Look at me now at verse 22. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Because Joshua knew that his time on earth would not be long, he told the people that they would have to keep each other accountable for the choices that they made. You see, even in biblical times, the importance of accountability was made clear. It was so that no one could blame someone else for their inability to maintain their commitment to the Lord, to serve Him, and to follow Him. You see, it's human nature to blame someone else. Remember Adam immediately blaming Eve for causing him to eat the fruit banned by God? Eve made me do it, even though Adam willingly took it. Again, no one made the people of Israel make a covenant to follow the living God. But they did. So now they had to keep each other accountable as they all witnessed this covenant with God at Shechem. But more than just words, there must be action taken to ensure accountability for the choices made. There must be safeguards put in place so that the people of Israel will indeed follow and serve the living God and not the pagan Canaanite gods. 
it is only natural to take action to ensure accountability. If you vow that you will no longer eat unhealthy foods or late night snacks, are you willing to delete and remove your Grab app? If Instagram and looking at pictures on Instagram makes you fall into temptation and sin, are you willing to get rid of the Instagram app? If you tell the Lord you're no longer going to watch pornography, have you taken the actions to put a filter on your computer and on the websites that you go to? The Israelites said they will follow and serve God. So Joshua gives them some actions that they are to do for accountability. Look at verses 23 to 27. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which He spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. Joshua told them to get rid of all of the pagan things in their lives that may possibly draw them away from the worship of the living God. Then they made a covenant with God, and they set up a memorial so that they would always remember the commitments that they had made to the Lord on that day. These are ancient accountability practices that have great practical application today. If you're going to follow God and make a commitment to serve Him faithfully, then you have to do a, a physical and a spiritual house cleaning to do an inventory of your life, to get rid of anything in your life that can possibly draw you away from your relationship with God. Or perhaps you can write down the commitments you make with the Lord, putting the time and the date and your signature and framing it and putting it prominently in your room or have it as a screen background on your computers or phones to remind you. What accountability actions and safeguards have you made in your personal life, your family life, your work life, and in your friendships? What are the accountability actions and safeguards that will help you successfully keep the choices you make to follow and serve God? You see, choice principle number four, keep accountable to life decisions by taking actions to ensure success. Keep accountable to life decisions by taking actions to ensure success. Now I want to note something important. Just because you have some sort of accountability structure or safeguard in place through a visual reminder or another person doesn't mean you will never sin or never break your commitments to God. We see this in the history of Israel. This and other monuments didn't stop the people from turning to the pagan gods of the Canaanites. Accountability actions and safeguard structures are only as good as you want it to be and whether you use it or not. You can always choose not to tell your accountability partner some areas of your sinful actions. You can always re-download an app or reinstall an app or remove the filter. These accountability actions are only to give you pause from sinning if you made a decision to serve and follow the Lord. You still need the victorious enablement of the Holy Spirit 
as you put in effort to mature yourself in your spiritual life. Spiritual maturity and being daily filled with the Holy Spirit isn't automatic. You and I have to practice the spiritual disciplines. We have to start small and build on top of it as we journey towards spiritual maturity. And so let's say you want to start a prayerful life. Be reasonable. Start with just praying five minutes a day and work your way up. If you want to start studying the Scriptures, set aside time and put in the effort to read a book on how to study the Bible. If you want to know more about God's Word, but you have some passages that confuse you, you have to put in the effort and the time to read about biblical backgrounds and commentaries that help you explain those verses. You know, people tell me all the time they don't understand certain verses in the Bible and they want to know more. But then when I ask them, what have you done? They say nothing. That's why I contacted you. They simply want the right answer. They want the immediate answer. They don't put in the effort. People tell me that they have issues as it relates to constantly backsliding or always falling back into sin. But it's because they have no concrete game plan. They have no action items to help them avoid sinning and living a Spirit-filled life. If you want to succeed in something, you and I know we have to put in the effort, and I guarantee you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will grow in your Christian life. You will mature in your spiritual walk, and you will find victory over sinful living. Look with me now at verses 28 to 31. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at Tibna-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The Bible tells us that Joshua died at the age of 110 years old. But what is more notable was that the people of Israel served and followed the living God even after his death. The leaders who came after Joshua, who had seen firsthand what the Lord had done for Israel, had a choice to follow the Lord or not. But they continued to lead the people in the ways of the Lord because of the covenant they made at Shechem. They remembered this promise to God, and they remembered the choice they made to serve God for the rest of their life. This wonderful account to end this book gives us wonderful biblical principles to remember as we make life decisions. Choice principle number one, make correct life decisions by remembering who God is and what He has done. Choice principle number two, weigh life decision options based on the evidence of facts. Choice principle number three, consider the seriousness of life decisions because choices have consequences. Choice principle number four, keep accountable to life decisions by taking actions to ensure success. I hope you will apply these principles in your life. Finally, look with me at verses 32 and 33. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, in which it had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. 
we have a few more verses that wrap up this book, which take us all the way back to Joseph in Egypt, who had asked that his bones be buried in the promised land in Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 to 26, to identify his covenanted relationship with the living God, Yahweh. These verses remind us that every person of every generation is asked to make choices in life that has future ramifications. My friends, the choices in life you make will reverberate throughout eternity, especially the most important decision you will make, which is your choice to trust in yourself to save yourself or to acknowledge that your good works cannot save you and that you need a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, who came to earth to die on our behalf, to die for our sins. And that by believing in Him, you and I will have eternal life. The choice is ours, and it has eternal consequences. I hope you will make the right choice to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've already made that decision to trust Jesus, you have to make a choice if you will follow Him in obedience for your spiritual rewards. That also has eternal consequences. You don't earn more rewards when you get to heaven. So what choices have you made in life? If you make choices, I hope you will choose to follow God. Can each of you say, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Joshua. It has been a wonderful study to see how you providentially lead, how you lovingly forgive, how you wonderfully take care of your children. And Father, as we end this book, we are reminded that there are choices that we must make. Joshua made a choice. He made a choice to serve you with all of his life. I pray, Lord, that we would make this choice to serve you with all of our hearts. I hope that we will make this choice with the seriousness that it so deserves. And I pray, Lord, that we will set the accountability and the safeguards to ensure that when we choose to follow you, it will be something that we can indeed live out. Heavenly Father, we know that when we choose you, we will have the best of life. Help us no longer to waver between you and the world. Help us to take a stand regardless of the crucibles, the challenges, the trials, the uncertainties that come into our life. We will always choose to serve and follow you. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.